all of my life, I've wanted to be a part of a church where you sense the love of Christ. Because to me, when God says that he is love, I think he means that. And he could have defined himself in many ways. But he's very clear that everything he does is in love and out of love and for the purpose of love, and that it's going to have an amazing impact. And so that's not sloppy love, that's real love. And today we're going to see how easy it is to distort who Jesus is. And yet I'm telling you the beginning up front that Jesus is very comfortable with who he is. Evidently, he just likes being himself. And he's looking for people who can receive him as himself and not watered down versions of who he's not. And so that, that's, that's going to be what we'll see today. And so I invite you into this pilgrimage of seeing through the lens of Mark and those who are closest to Jesus as they recorded who he really is. And uh, I think that in some sense, we may need to push away some of the things that we've made them to pick up who he really is. I love the message uh, last week when Kurt said this statement, and it really stuck with me, and I've uh, leaned into it all week. But he said, hey, uh, hey, church, you need to understand that you are not the subject of your sentence. You're the object. That Jesus is the subject. He's the main point of the message. It's not about us. It's about him. But it's a beautiful thing that we get to be the object of his love, the object of his hands, the object of his word, the object of his voice. We are him here. And so it's not a diminishing thing to allow him to be who he is. It's an empowering thing to know him for who he is. That's what we're going to see today. And what's interesting, if uh, we take this seriously, what we're going to find out is that the more real we are with God, the more real he'll be with us and the more real outcomes we're going to have because we're close to him. It's time to be real with God and let him be real. Let him be real to us because he wants to be real to other people and he's using us to be be that. And so we don't have time to make him less than who he is. And yet we're going to see one of the most powerful men in the time of Jesus completely missed who Jesus was. That's what we're going to see today. But that didn't make Jesus any less than who he was. It didn't make him any less comfortable. It didn't make him any less motivated. It didn't make him any less of anything. He just stays being Jesus. And he calls us to do the same. When I come into Redeemed Church, some of you I know very well, I've walked through some life with you. Um, I feel very connected. I, I, I sense the reality of the goodness of God in the people here. And some of you, I'm looking forward to getting to know more. But can I tell you, I hope everything we do as a, cho- a church points you to him. Because he's real. He is it. He is everything. And if we'll connect there, we'll have a good day. Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And that's not a condemnation. That's a direction. He's so good at being the way that he says, can you see who I am? And that's going to lead you to who I am. He's the great 
I am. And so we look at it and we, we use that almost as like it's being exclusive. No, it's can you really see it? If we really see him for who he is and he is the great I am, he is the way. Why would you not go that way? Right? That's how he's stating it. So we have to be careful how we frame the things that Jesus says and who he shows himself to be because we don't want to make him who he's not. We don't want to go, hey, if you don't do it this way, you're not on the way. Are you with me? And we, we point to Christ and we let him live the way, be the way, show the way, and then it makes sense. And it changes everything. So I would also warn you that here's the conclusion, then we'll fill it together, right? The conclusion is this, is if you allow Jesus to be Jesus in our lives, it's going to change everything. And if you want to be changed a little bit, then this is what's hard. You're going to go on the rock polisher. I don't know how else to say it. In my family, I've always polished rocks. I have three daughters and now grandkids and son-in-laws and all the cool stuff. And I still polish rocks and then I leave them around because I want my family to know that when you take rough looking rocks, you put them in a tumbler and you make them beat up against each other for long periods of time that you come out beautiful. And that's the way it really works. You don't wake up smooth and gorgeous. You wake up rough. And then the Lord says, I'll put you some other rough folks. We're going to spin you in a controlled environment. But instead of rock polisher with the Lord, I'm telling you right now, friends, it's not rock polisher. It's not grit. It is his love. His never-ending love. And he gets the job done. Sometimes I wish he would just not love me so well. <laughs> so that's what we're going to see today. Here's how it works. Is that Kirk's um, teaching that we're going to be the object then is going to cause us to have to change the way not only that we see him, but the way we interact with him as well. And I'm just going to repeat this, Kurt. You said it very well, but I'm not sure we really believe it the first time around. But Kurt then went on to say, and these are the three things we're supposed to do. If we want to advance his kingdom, Kurt said that. And it wasn't just Kurt. It was the Bible. So you're kind of, you know, you, we can't give too much credit or blame to Kurt. But <laughs> the Bible said this, and let's just be very, very clear. He said, number one, number one, you will proclaim repentance. If you're a follower, if you know me, if you know he's the way, if he's our Lord and Savior, you will proclaim, preach repentance. Now, when you do it in Christ, then it'll be that kind of repentance that goes like this. Did you not know that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? You can't repent when somebody's, I guess you could, if somebody's telling you to turn or burn, maybe you will. That's not what he's looking for. That's a transactional change out of fear versus a complete rebirth and reimagining of everything. But friends, let's not, let's not lose sight of this. Jesus says, if you are his follower, if we're his followers, we will preach, proclaim repentance. And so sometimes I just need to say, Lord, I'm sorry that, um, that I, it's almost like I abdicate that. It's okay for me to say, Hey, there's change. There's a better way. 
for me to care enough to say, slow down, let's talk this through. Please don't keep going down that road, right? Number two, according to the Bible, I was going to blame Kurt again, is that you cast out demons. Come on, does, and did anybody not like that last week? I mean, I was sitting there going, this is rough stuff to receive. I hope I'm in the right room this morning. Did you guys, I mean, did I just gloss over you that you're supposed to cast out demons? Friends, I just want to acknowledge right now that if you don't believe that there are demons or if you don't believe you can be deceived, you're very deceived. I'm sorry, that's just, that's the way it is. There's right, there's wrong, there's good, there's evil, there's heaven, there's hell. It is a war out there. And there is a demon structure order that hates the people of God. They literally will destroy anything that God stands for. They'll come against it. That's what they do. The amazing truth is that we don't have to be deceived, nor do we need to be destroyed, that the works of God will last forever, and that our minds can be healed and made pure to be able to understand the things that are holy unto God. Number three is that we were supposed to heal the sick. And actually, I went and I studied a long time because sometimes I, I hurt when I try to heal people and they don't get healed. And I love what our church did yesterday, right? Maybe, we're, maybe our prayers don't move them to the place of healing that we wanted, right? Maybe we can take them to medical facilities to also get help. But the, the truth here is that what we're told to do is to anoint the sick to pray for the sick, to minister to the sick. The curing, the healing, the salvation that can come is up to God. We are required to do it. And so I'm ready to anoint folks. I'm ready to pray for folks. And then God gets to do all that he can. And if we have to put some in the van and take them to the medical facilities, let's do that too. But we can't skate around it, people. If you don't believe that, you're making him less. Because this is what he said. And so I don't want to jump in today's message when he says, and that's it. That's what's going to be today. God's going to say, and that's it. And if you're not doing it, you ain't doing flip. That's what we're going to hear today. It's going to be right there. But we need to believe that this is it. And we don't want to back away from it just because it's not happening well enough. We want to lean into it and ask God to help us to move his kingdom forward. So that's That's the amazing, far-reaching impact of who Jesus is and where he's really going. And we're going there together. Look left, look right, turn around, look backwards. These are the people who are trying to believe this with you. And you know, friends, you're not normal. This This is not normal stuff. And Kurt did a good job of showing how even Jesus' family rejected him. Other people said no. It can't be that way. We're trapped. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look and we're going to say this. And just let me pray this over us. But Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not being willing to change and to repent. Forgive us for not being kind to people, to not even seeing some people. Some people, our kindness is so messed up, we don't even see them anymore. Forgive us, Lord. We want to get it right. We really do. We want your goodness and your kindness to flow through us. 
Lord, I also ask that you forgive us for the way that we play with evil, the way we get entertained by it, the way we even pay for it at times instead of reject it, Lord. People rejected you, and yet sometimes we reject you and accept evil, and we're sorry. We really are. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want that end. So forgive us. Open our eyes so we can see things the way they really are. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give us a new heart. You love to give us a new heart. That's what you do. Would you give us a heart so that we can love the downcast, the marginalized, the sick? So thank you, Lord, that that's who you are. That's what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. You guys, these things that I'm speaking of today, these aren't small things. According to Jesus, these are all things. This isn't small stuff. This isn't border stuff. This is it. That's the way it works. So let's go in. I'm calling it the it factor. And, and let's understand how the it factor really works. So you ready to go with me in the word of God? And we're going to see, we're going to pick up from where Kirk took us last week in uh, March 6. We're going to begin with 14. It says, And King Herod heard of it. For his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah. And others were saying, he is a prophet like the one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. This is fascinating to me. Herod was not the least bit confused about it. He saw the it. He saw people getting healed. He saw people getting well. He saw all these miracles going on. He knew it was happening. He was convinced in it. Where he was confused was who was doing it. He's confused in two points. Number one is Jesus' disciples who were doing this. And he said it was John the Baptist through Jesus. No, Jesus started it and was finishing it in us. No confusion, please. We're it. And we're still confused by it today too. And I am. Whenever the Lord does something to value me sometimes, I start, wow. I know this is amazing, friends, but it's a transformed life. That's the it factor. It's the new life of Jesus Christ in us. That's it. And everything that isn't it, isn't it. And so it's okay to go to the Lord and say, would you please, would you please transform me? Herod missed it. That's what's amazing too, isn't it? In terms of who was doing it. Can I tell you why he missed it? Because he had beheaded John. And so in his mind, John's coming back to even the score. Some of you may know that I lived in the third ward of Houston, and I'd be believing that too. You do that to me, I'm coming back. We're getting even. That's how we roll. And so we put that on, and yet that's not the way God works. So we can miss 
him because of us. We really can. And what, what I see happening here is three things, and I, I just want to put them up so that we can uh, be aware of it. But if we'll go to um, slide number five, and it's going to be on not wanting God to change us. It's going to be John 1.16. But here's what, here's what happens. Is that we come to a place where we basically move away from reality and we distort it based upon what we expect. And there's three ways that our expectations minimize the truth of who God is. All right? And so the reality is that God is not changed by our limited version of him. He's still him. Herod was wrong. Jesus was Jesus. He wasn't John the Baptist trying to get back at him. Jesus was Jesus. And Jesus was quietly, very accurately, very wisely investing in his disciples to do it. Right, so that's what Jesus was doing. Herod completely off. Here's the reason that he can be off, and here's the reason that we can be off today too. All right? There's really three reasons. But the truth is, when we limit Jesus, Jesus doesn't limit himself. It's a viewpoint. It's a distortion on our part, not on his. And so we won't, we won't, can't, we don't change who God is. We just limit how much fullness of him we can receive and see and understand. And so the limiting factor is what is our receptivity? What are our expectations? How much will we receive of this amazing God to transform us? And if we want to go like this, then you'll just go, that's it. That's what you'll get. Because you'll just, I kept saying it's John. And now can you imagine the, the consultants to Herod? Well, actually, Herod, I know you kill people because that's what you do, but you're wrong. No, you just go like this. It doesn't work that way, Jesus. You can say all the dumb stuff you want. We can believe all the incorrect things. He's just going to be God. And so you can't even kill Jesus without him making it better. He just gets raised from the dead. He's so right that us being not right doesn't mess up his righteousness. And he has so much of his righteousness that he just gives it away to people who aren't right all the time. That's how it really works. So here's three areas. Number one is our preconceived ideas about who he, who we want him to be keeps him from being all that he can to us. In other words, we're not receiving all of who he really is because we have preconceived ideas of who we want him to be. Nothing bothers me more. And I've visited, there's a church in town that has this, maybe they've remodeled so maybe they don't anymore. But they had pictures of Jesus the lamb, like a little cuddly lamb up at the altar. And, and I'm just going, you know what? He's not the cuddly lamb. He was the slaughtered lamb. <laughs> lamb. And so you can make him this pretty cute little adorable lamb. Yeah, that little cute adorable thing got his neck cut. He was the sacrificial lamb. He knew he would be, and he received it well. Walked right into it and did it. And so, again, we can have these preconceived ideas. Then it gets really hard, and we go, oh, no, the little lamb bit me. No, he's not a little lamb. He's God. 
He is the lion. The lion of Judah, he's all of it. And he's all of it at the same time, and he knows how to make it all work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called, like we're called, according to his purposes, which is to do these three things. And now phones are saying, yes, we agree. <laughs> There's another thing that will distort our understanding to see Jesus for who he really is, friends. And please hear me on this. This is number two where we go wrong all the time. Number one is our preconceived ideas. Number two is our personal comforts. It gets uncomfortable when we see him for who he really is or what he really wants or we don't want to sacrifice. It gets uncomfortable to see people not doing well, so we look away. It gets uncomfortable not to believe this or that. Jesus came in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and on the donkey, people took their clothes off and put it on him to sit and threw it on the ground for them to walk on. They got very uncomfortable at the beginning just to let Jesus be more comfortable. I wish we were more like that. Our comforts aren't to be held on to. Our comforts are to be sacrificed and shared and given to other people. That's how it's supposed to work. We don't look, we don't work for comfort. We work to give comfort away. And that's part of the kingdom life. That's how it really works. That's the it factor. We're fighting. Americans, man, we want to get as much as we can, as fast as we can, and look out. Then afterwards, if I have some left over, I'll give you some. Come on. This is me speaking against Americans. This is me speaking for Christ the way it really is. If you want more, according to him, give what you have away. That's a little different spin on it, isn't it? But our own personal comfort sometimes keep us from stepping up and being generous and giving ourselves away to God. I'm looking for people who will tell me, Marty, get generous. Come on, go get generous. All right. Number three, and this is the one that I see people struggle with the most, is that our own, and what I'm really calling the projections of unresolved truth get in the way. In other words, we have unresolved truth in our own lives. And so what we do is we aren't willing to receive him for who he is and what he says. And friends, there's going to be a lot of unresolved truth. I'll tell you why. Number one is there's demons who are deceiving us. Number two, we have blind spots. Number three, we have life experiences that have hurt us and pushed us and done things to where our lens become altered. We have two dogs that live in my house. One that we purchased from a snuggly little happy family and we got, and that dog will love you to death. We have another dog that was a rescue dog that was abused. That dog will love you to death, and then someday it might just turn around and bite you. <laughs> and I'm serious, like to the hospital bite type thing, you know? Yeah, so if you come over to our house and knock on the door and you hear the dogs barking, give me a chance to put one dog upstairs away before you come in. That's how we do it. Our issues in life that we've gone through, our hardships, our hurts, they can impact the way we respond to life. And I'm telling you right now, God is good. He's love, he's right. He doesn't know how to Treat us wrong. There's no end to his loving kindnesses. They're new every morning. This is everything about him. Everything is good. He's just full of that and willing to give it away. So we need to 
get out of our unresolved truth, and we need to quit arguing about things we don't understand about. I, I put it like this. I haven't won an argument yet with two people in the dark explaining what they're trying to see. We're not in that perfect life. And so why don't we just admit some of this stuff is unresolved. We don't understand it, but God is good. Move on. That's what I'm saying. All right, so that's how it works. So I'm just going to give you the, the back end story now. So we hear Herod, who is this Jesus? What's going on? It must be John the Baptist. So here's the story because we're almost out of time. The story goes like this. John, I mean, Mark says, let's, do, let's, let's put everything on hold for a moment. I'm going to tell you the back story. So in the back story, it goes like this. Herod was having a big party. So Herod is the big guy in town. He has all this military advisors and all the royalty of the whole, all the communities come, and he's throwing a big party. In that big party, he's serving up the alcohol, and things are going chaotic, and whatever that is. All right? And so then they decide to bring in the entertainment. And the entertainment is going to be, I know this sounds weird, but Herod married his brother's wife, who was also his niece. Yeah. So, and her name's Herodias. So kind of same family thing, right? Here they, they are. And so then Herodias, who really liked not being married to Herod Philip, the brother, liked being married to Herod because Herod was going places. Herod, man, he was going to make it happen even if he had to kill people, and he did. Right? That, that's the kind of person Herod was. Herod, if you look at it historically, he was a very cruel dictator. Right? And so now Herodias is saying, whenever John the Baptist tells us you're not supposed to have married me, it really hurts my feelings, then I have to treat you bad. That's what she says to him, basically. And he goes, and I'm tired of you treating me bad, so what am I going to do about this? Well, kill John the Baptist. He says, no, I won't. I'll put him in prison, but I like this John the Baptist because he tells the truth. And she's saying, yeah, but his truth is, she's, he's saying, you can't be married to me because you, you don't get to divorce your wife and marry your brother's wife. And so you need to get him, get rid of him. I want you to kill him. Herod says, no, because every now and then, some of the things he says are worth listening to, and they're, they're not quite so offensive. And I think he's got them, so I'm going to hang on to him. So now Herodias says, I've got my perfect opportunity. They're drinking. I'm going to bring out the it factor. This is Herodias's it factor. I'm going to bring out the sensuality of my daughter, Simone. And she's going to do this sensual dance and change the whole atmosphere of the room, and it worked. Herod goes, wow, that was so amazing. I'll give you whatever you want. What do you want? And so Adam says, well, let me go ask my mom, Herodias. Herodias says, I want John the Baptist's head. Have him cut off his head. Now Herod says, oh my gosh, I just said I would give her whatever she wanted up to half my kingdom. If I don't do it, now I'm going to look like I'm you know, a fool. You're a fool because you even said you would do that. You're a fool because you married your brother's wife, your niece, and you're watching your brother's wife's niece's daughter dance sensual. There's a lot of fool going on here. It would have been better if he just said, fool's done. I'm done with this being all this bad, right? But he didn't. He was so embarrassed about the oath that he made in front of everybody, he has John beheaded. And then the daughter comes out and gives the head to the mother, and they think they've done a great job. And that's the backstory from 
Herod's lifestyle, the rich and famous account. But in the word of God, it's fantastic. Because Mark says, and when John the Baptist's disciples heard of it, when the disciples of John the Baptist, no more than Jesus, John the Baptist heard of it, they came and they took his body and buried him. Because they're going to do what's right, right? And so I love the fact that Mark's not even going to let it end on the note of the crazy people. He's going to bring it back to the people that are seen as crazy but actually right. So they come and they bury the body. And then what's fascinating from it is that from this point on, going forward in the story, it goes back to the real story. So Herod's there. He's being crazy. Friends, Herod doesn't see Jesus again until the night of his betrayal. When Herod sees him and says, I want you to show me a sign, say something, do something Jesus doesn't. So guess what Herod does? Punches him in the face and puts a purple robe on him. That, that's Herod's interaction with the king of kings. That's how it went down. So, But again, going back, we come to this. So I want you to turn with me and we're going to see Jesus' uh, recollection of how he's investing in his disciples to make sure that we as his disciples understand who he is and really why he is, okay? So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to turn to verse Mark 6, 30 to 31. It's going to say, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a scheduled place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Here's the story. Jesus sends them out, do these things. They go out, they're doing the things. Herod hears about it. Herod kills John the Baptist because he doesn't know what it is going on, and he wants to stop it. So he thinks he's taking care of it. It hasn't been taken care of. Jesus gets the it factor, his disciples, brings them together. It's so crowded, they can't even eat. And he says, okay, guess what we're going to do? We're going to step out of all the crazy. We're going to spend time together and hear more about it. I want to hear from you. What, what have you been doing? What's going on? And so the whole impact of getting to have a place and a space to talk about the things that really matter happened right here in this space. And I, I sense that for us, we get so caught up in, I don't know, distractions and busyness and craziness that we're not slowing down to lean into the it factor. What really matters most? We should be talking about, are we sharing in kindness the re message of repentance? We should be talking about the fact, are we overcoming the deception of the enemy so where we can see things for the way they really are? We should be talking about, are we ministering to those who are marginalized and hurting and needing it? And are we bringing empathy and love to these folks? That's, that's what we need to spend time making sure that we get to do. And so I think Jesus wants that to sink in. And that's my conclusion, is we need to let those three things that we just talked about really sink in into our innermost being. And I'm just going to uh, go down and and share the last three uh, portions of Scripture, 10, 11, 12 slides, and the last three slides. But what I want to say is this. 
We can't limit Jesus. We can limit how much we receive of him, and when we receive less of him, we have less to give away. But even when we have less to give away, friends, Jesus doesn't change his calling on us. The call is the same. It's to advance God's kingdom through those three things. That's what it is. And so our opportunity here is to make sure that we look at our life, do a cost-benefit analysis, and are carving out time to let the things that matter most come to the forefront of who we are and what we do. One of the most powerful things about John the Baptist, and uh, Marcy Meg shared it a couple weeks ago, or forgive me, last week, whenever it was, but when they did the, uh, the woman's teaching, and they looked at uh, the conclusion of John's life, and, um, and then you back up a little bit, and you see this mindset that he had, and this mindset in John 3.30 goes like this. He must increase, but I must decrease. John got that. And so when I'm talking about the distractions and the busyness, friends, there's stuff of us that needs to decrease, that we need to let go of so that we can pick up what really matters. And this is what I struggle with. I struggle with, I think that we don't put it down to pick him up because we think it's going to make us smaller if we decrease. If we're living the call of God, we're not small. The more of Christ we let in, the more we have to give away. It's not diminishing to let go of the selfish stuff. It's smart. It's, it's really what begins and moves everything in the right direction. I like Kurt's uh, making us camp a little bit on stuff that worry us or that we're anxious about, pushing that aside so we can remember how good God is in his promises. That's a great place to start, to encourage us, because when you pick up his promises, you get to put away everything that goes against his promise. And I'm willing to hang on to that, right? Go down swinging with that. So decrease to increase. This is what I'm asking us to do. That Acknowledge that Jesus is less concerned about the lifestyle of the rich and famous than he is about the lives of the repentant. When you repent, he's watching. When you repent, he's looking. He's not watching the Kardashians or whatever that is. He's watching people who are humble of heart and seeking him. Number two, he's less concerned with arguments about whatever truths you're trying to convince somebody of than he is being the truth in your life that you can hang on to. Number three, he's less concerned with the result of our prayers for the sick than he is the fact that we care about the sick. When we do our part, his part works wonders and miracles they become the it factor. So here's three prayers I want to give you today, and I'm going to show them. And friends, I'm, I'm not a silver orator great speaker. I, I even wasn't when I was getting paid full time to do it, okay? Um, that's just not the way I'm wired. And so I know I haven't really even done justice to this portion of Scripture that's life-transforming. So what I did is 
I've noted it correctly and written it out very well. To the best of my ability, with the help of the Lord. I put them over there on the Connect Center, put copies of them. I encourage you to pick some of those up and read them and, and see what the Word of the Lord says, because in 28 minutes, you can only do so much, right? But it's there. I'm asking you to, to look into it. But here's three prayers that I want to at least offer us as the body of Christ, aligned to the truth to God, so that we can get it right. Here they are. Number one is I want us to be able to say this, Lord, I believe you love me regardless of anything I've ever done or haven't done. You believe that. Lord, I believe you, your process. I believe you love me regardless of what I've ever done or not done. And he says that he does. John 6, 47, he says it this way, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. We are accepted by him. Please see what it does not say. It does not say that you may inherit eternal life at some point if you do enough good to overcome the dumb you did. It says you have it. If you believe truly, truly, I will give it to you up front because that will transform you. That's eternal life. Number two, Lord, forgive me for not believing, for making you less and buying into the deception of evil. Break it. My wife's in the audience today. She will confirm that I pray this every day for my family. I'm not ignorant enough to think that the enemy doesn't hate me and my family. I'm not going to give it extra room to work against me and my family who love the Lord because I'm not doing my part in praying for my family. I'm using the tools that God gives me. And look right here. This is what it says. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that no one, no one who believes in me will remain in darkness. I believe that. Where the enemy worked so hard to keep us in darkness and in the blind spot, all Jesus has to do is turn on the light and everything changes. Number three, Lord, heal me. Heal me and fill me. Fill me with your grace in every area of my life so that I can give it away and share it with you. Lord, I need to be healed and I need to be filled. And he's not stingy. John 7, 38, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And there are people who are thirsty and need a drink. We got it. The life, the Spirit of Christ. Do you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, was in the desert 40 days with no food and no water? You cannot humanly live that long unless you have the Spirit of God giving you life in your innermost being. He was actually physically carried by the Spirit. 
The Spirit of God can overcome human deficiencies is what I'm trying to say. Friends, we cannot give what we do not have. And so this day, I'm just asking that the Lord give us. Jump started, God. Jump start us with your goodness, would you? I bless each of you this day. Thank you for loving the Lord. Thank you for giving us your time. Let's just close and have an opportunity to worship and let these truths sink in. And remember, I just bless you in the name of Jesus. Thank you.